Hi, welcome to Navigating the Spectrum with Michelle Portlock. I'm your host, Michelle Portlock, and I'm so happy to have you with me today. Today, I have Dr. Kristen Wegner, and I'm really anxious to hear from Dr. Wegner because before I ask her to introduce herself, I just want to tell you that she wrote a series and it's called Brody the Lion. And I just am really looking forward to learning more about the why behind this book series and um, how she came up with these ideas. So Kristen, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you, Michelle, for inviting me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Kristen, tell me about who you are and what you do. Sure. I am a clinical psychologist. I own a very, very very small autism clinic in rural Western Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, we we could do an entire hour on my progression to getting to this point in my life. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm more than a, a half a century old, so I've been doing this for a while. Um, but <laughs> but I didn't start off in psychology. Um, mm-hmm. I actually started off in engineering. Realized I loved working with kids. I was loving my volunteer work more than I was um, loving being in the lab. So I switched my major and my bachelor's degree is in bulk rehab, was working with adults, um, both professionally and volunteering, and just really felt that I could make a bigger difference if I worked with younger children. So many of the adults I was working with just didn't have opportunities when they were young. So um, in my late 20s, I went back and got my master's degree in early childhood special ed, worked part, or for a while as a birth to three teacher, and then as an early childhood special ed teacher, where I met my first kiddo with autism, who was getting ABA, just, you know, I was hooked. I fell in love with autism, was so intrigued by ABA that I um, cut down to working part-time at the school and was working part-time for the ABA company. But I really struggled with aspects of ABA struggled. Mm -hmm. And this is back in the, in the nineties. So, you know, Mm -hmm. back then still struggled with, you know, this compliance based, this um, teaching all this stuff that was somewhat irrelevant. Like who cared if the kid could label 500 things when they weren't able to um, request that they were hungry or thirsty. And um, we could go on and on, but, but Mm -hmm. long story short, I wanted to do ABA the right way. And so at that time, the only way to do that was to become a clinical psychologist. So I went back to school, got my PhD and then started my own company. And a couple decades later, here we are. I love it. What a great background. I love that you fell in love with the autism community. That's a lot of the word love, isn't it? I just okay, appreciate it. Met my tribe. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I said to my daughter. It's funny that you say that. And this is a little not connected to what we're saying. But when she she's 19 now and when she was 13, going going on 14, heading into middle school, she went to a theater party to kind of get to know some of these high school theater kids. And she said, mom, I met my tribe. I met my people. So there's something beautiful about meeting your people and knowing you're in the right place. And I love that this has happened for you. Yeah. Thank you, Michelle. You betcha. So I mentioned earlier that you created an award-winning book series called Brody the Lion. So tell me about the motivation behind creating this series. 
Yeah. And none of my answers are short. So I apologize to your listeners. I love it. For <laughs> lengthy answers. Um, this is also something that actually started 25 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. I was coming, I went to a birthday party for um, a young child who at the time was, was not diagnosed and went to the party. And it was very evident to me that he had autism. And I, of course I didn't say anything to, to, to these people, but, <laughs> but it, it, it was horrible. It was just horrifying because here is this incredibly I'm um, just like you and I were talking about earlier I mean it, he he was m- most likely a 2e child he was mm-hmm. um quite gifted he had very special interests he but he struggled so he he slammed the door in his uncle's face because his uncle was late he you know rejected the gift I gave him because he was no longer studying crystals I'd given him a crystal growing experiment he was now studying Egypt and the overwhelming sounds and everything in his his poor little birthday at age four was, you know, so hard for him because he was undiagnosed. And mm-hmm. on my way home, I just jotted down those first couple of lines. And when I got home, I, I, well, I, I said them in my head. When I got home, I jotted them down, threw them in a book, and they stayed there for the next couple of decades. And I just started thinking. I do a lot of diagnosing and I sit across the, the table uh, across my desk and I, I meet parents who knew that their child had autism. They knew that their child was different and they talk to their family or their friends or the pediatrician and are told, oh, boys talk late. Oh, there's nothing wrong with him. Oh, you just need to discipline more. All of those things. And here's this parent and, and so many of them, at four, their, their kids are now four or five or six or even older. And the parent mm-hmm. is crying not because the child has autism, but because they knew and nobody had listened to them. And then they didn't you know, advocate for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so I just got thinking like there, there needs to be, you know, we have so much awareness and supposedly acceptance, but still people have such a stereotyped version of what autism looks like. And if a child is not rocking or flapping in a corner somewhere, then they can't be autistic. Or if they have words or they have eye contact, they can't be autistic. And there's just mm-hmm. so many things that are wrong. And and then there's, we have the whole other ver- side of the spectrum, well, side of the spectrum, huh? pun, pun not intended there. We have the whole other <laughs> pendulum swing where it's like, oh, just let them be autistic. And I embrace autism. I love autism. And mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with a child engaging in self-stimulatory behavior and happily flapping. But autism does come with challenges. And so mm-hmm. diagnosis is so important because recognizing that a child has struggles with changes in routine or can't tolerate losing or can't, you know, they need to know what's coming. All of the the things that we can do to help our littles um, or our children, adolescents, adults be their better selves, be their true selves, their authentic selves. Mm -hmm. And so I'd always been jotting down notes to write a big textbook somewhere. You know, it's kind of what you do when you (laughs) you get PhD, you write a book. I was like, who's ever going to read that? And so I said, I need Put the, the the information in the hands of the people who who need it and use it. And I, you know, till there's not enough good children's books with uh, characters with different needs in the first place. So I pulled out those old notes and just finished that book. And then the others just kind of came pretty quickly. I I love it. And I will just say to listeners that she sent me, Kristen sent me Brody the Lion, the shopping flip and Brody the Lion. Sometimes I roar and I wish I could pick a favorite one, but I like them both equally for different reasons. I just think that these are real life experiences that we 
could have with our child. And I think it's really great for our kids who are autistic or may potentially receive autism diagnosis in the future that they, like you said, they see that someone represents them. And Brody the lion is such a cute, fun character that represents these children. I like, by the way, that it, that you chose a lion and not that you actually chose an animal and not a picture of a child, because I think the fact that Brody is a lion makes him more able to connect for all children, as opposed to a kid seeing a picture of another child that doesn't look anything like them. And, and that's really interesting because in, in the world of literature and in the world of publishers, mm-hmm. um, there actually is some negative viewpoints of using animals as characters. Mm-hmm. But as a child development specialist and somebody that specializes in autism, mm-hmm. I can tell you that my three-year-olds with autism can label an, a lion before many of them can label mom or dad. The face blindness and that inability to distinguish names and faces is really difficult for kids on the spectrum, but they can see lion. They don't have to learn a name, Sarah and Matthew and Johnny, and figure out what everybody looks like. All they have to remember is lion, bear, snake, hippo. And and so the, the concreteness of the animal is easier to be able to label and remember as opposed to, I mean, I, of course, Brody has a name, but um, if they just call him Lion, that it, it's more concrete. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I like that you explained that and the reasoning behind it. I just liked it. <laughs> but there's <laughs> but there's research behind that. And I appreciate that. That makes sense to me. So I'm wondering, first of all, before I even ask this question, I will just throw this little tidbit in. I feel like I could talk to you for hours just about autism in general, because it's a passion of mine. It's clearly a passion of yours. And it's a community that we love and embrace and connect with. And so I appreciate that. But with that knowledge about you, what would you share with parents that are struggling to meet the potentially extensive needs of their autistic child or children? It's kind of a loaded question, by the it, way. It is a loaded question. And 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 I think first and foremost, I think I would say trust your instincts. Mm. Trust yourself. There, there's nobody that will ever know your child more or better than you do. And so you might come to me and look for advice and therapy about autism. And it might be fabulous advice, but it might not match and meet the goals that you have for the family or interests or things that are important to you. And so often parents are afraid to speak up to the professionals. They're afraid to say, but that doesn't work. That's not what is important to me. And so number one, I think it's that that trusting trusting your gut. Number two, I think is um, making sure you're taking care of your own needs. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the number of families that are like, when I explain to them all the different benefits and resources that are available, especially families, uh, middle-class families that work extraordinarily hard, they don't want to take advantage of the system. And they'll be like, oh, I, I don't need to, to, I'll leave that for somebody who really needs it. And it's like, no, you really need it. <laughs> Getting rest <laughs> so that you can go and have a spa day or get your nails done or just <laughs> go for a drive mm-hmm. and read a book 
it is is you need that. And if, mm-hmm. if the government or a health insurance or a, a county agency is going to be able to help provide that, it's a benefit in the service because you have to take care of your own needs. 24-7 is hard for any parent, but a parent of a child with, with additional needs, it's exhausting and, and it's hard to fill your own cup up. And so, you know, that number two, just taking care of yourself. Um, so one, trust in your, your own gut. Number two, taking care of yourself. And then three, really looking at the goals that are important to you, your child and your family. Um, And again, it's going back to why I I went and got my own PhD and started my own company, because it doesn't matter if somebody else thinks the most important thing is to get your child to, to play this toy or to, you know, do this when all you would like to do would be able to take your child to church, or you just want them to be able to dress themselves or eat with a spoon or whatever that goal is. And it might not be on my radar because I don't live your life. And so even as a professional, I might be writing these goals that I want Johnny to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm forgetting, I didn't even ask about this thing that's so important, being able to go to grandma's house and they can't go see grandma because grandma always hugs him and you know he can't tolerate the hug and then it ends in a meltdown. And it's like, and we don't know. And so advocating and speaking for what is important for, for you and your child. I mean, they're, they're pretty generic answers, but I think that with those three things, it, 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 you really can start to tackle some of those extensive needs. Mm-hmm. I know you called these answers generic, but in all honesty, I think that they have such high value. And I appreciate what you've shared from everything you just shared. I get the feeling that your practice and what you do is really a family experience and that you're making sure that every individual is doing the best that they possibly can be doing with exactly where they're at. And I appreciate that because I think so many professionals miss that. And I think although autism is an individual diagnosis, I say this all the time, it is a family experience. So I appreciate that you treat it as such and that each individual within the family unit is important and has their own needs or in addition to those needs of their autistic child that they're seeking services for. So I really appreciate your words of wisdom. And I think they are just that, words of wisdom. So thank you, Kristen. Oh, absolutely. It, it It is so important to include siblings or aunts and uncles, grandparents, fam- close family friends, whoever is in that extended circle, that, that bubble around that child, because it, it is, like you said, it affects so many people. And so mm-hmm. the benefit of not working for a big organization and not focusing on making money <laughs> don't, don't, don't do a whole lot of that around here. Um, but that's all right. I mean, we, 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 I make plenty of money in order to pay bills and that, that part's fine. But what is important is helping families with what matters to them. And in so many of those traditional types of therapies, it is just a manualized treatment and every child follows the same curriculum and the same, you know, the goals can be written. They just come from a book. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, we don't, 
follow a book. You know, none of us do, you know, especially kids on the spectrum. We're all so unique and so different that yes. what works for one child and one family is not going to work for the next. And so we have to individualize mm-hmm. if we want genuine success. I absolutely 100% agree. And it is so refreshing to hear this approach. I wish that you lived in Colorado so I could send all of my local people to you. (laughs) I know. I I wish. I mean, and it's so difficult to want to be able to provide services for more families and to only be a single person because it's really difficult to grow bigger Mm -hmm. and have train staff, not that there aren't wonderful educated people, but it's different. And in my experiences being neurodivergent myself, mm-hmm. that plays a huge part in my understanding and my success. I didn't get my knowledge just from my three degrees or reading all of my books. I mean, obviously my special interest is autism. So mm-hmm. I have read everything and anything, but I live it too. So mm-hmm. I understand what it is like to be different. I understand what it's like to be ostracized, treated as if you are being disruptive or oppositional when in fact you are (laughs) just following the rules. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it makes a really big difference to have a clinician, a provider who understands from their own experience. I agree. And thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate you sharing your vulnerable experiences. I I do want to ask you, those that are listening, many don't live in Wisconsin, some will, but many don't. And so because they can't see you as a professional, I would love them to have access to your books. So how do they reach you? How can people find you? Yeah, so um, Brody the Line books are available, of course, on Amazon, who owns, what, 85% of, of the world now? So pretty much in any country, any state, any country where there's an Amazon outlet, you can get them on Amazon. We do sell them directly ourselves. And so uh, you have to pay for shipping, though, because obviously I'm just a teeny tiny. So if you have the Amazon Prime, it's cheaper to get them through Amazon. Um, but we we do sell some Brody merchandise too. We have little plushies and you know other different things. We use the plushies. We have Brody plushies, little stuffed animals, and we use animals. We use, I mean, if, if you saw my closet full of stuffed animal, I have every size <laughs> of every animal that there possibly is <laughs> because everything we do is is a sensory base and a concrete base. And so when we're reading a story, we're acting that story out. And so we act it out with our animals. Maybe we're holding our animals while we're reading stories. We're going to mm-hmm. use little figurines in our sensory play or in our small world play. You know, we're, we're really embedding as we're doing our therapy. We don't sit at a table and do DTT or any of that drill and practice kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Everything we do is a immersion-based so that it's it's concrete and it makes sense as they're working. So um, getting Brody plushies is just part of the deal. So um, we use our Brodies all the time and, and the kids just love them because he's adorable, but, yes. but we can practice. And, yeah, and the Brody can do the different things. So if he's, our newest book that's just coming out in a couple of weeks here in, in, on April 23rd is about going to the doctor. And so we'll take that Brody and you know get our little doctor tools out and we practice. And I had a little guy a couple of years ago who was having an operation and we 
we, we got the scooters and we got a little bed platform and, you know, he, oh. we made a mask. I mean, we, we role played the entire thing. So he knew, you know, way more than a social story. I mean, mm-hmm. really acting out and helping him so that he knew that this mask was going to go over his face and that it was going to hurt. And, you know, it would, it was going to be a prick. And it, it's just mm-hmm. so important to practice all of those things. So anyway, you can um, get the books on Amazon, or if you go to www.brodythelion.com, you can order from us directly. Mm-hmm. And tell me what your Instagram handle is. Sure. That is at brody.the.lion. And that has a combination of just autism awareness, autism facts, and therapy posts. So I'll do posts about behavioral strategies for haircuts or doctor's appointments, meltdowns. And then I do some play-based things too. So I think today I just posted about how to adapt um, your Mr. Potato Head pieces and using your Play-Doh to create a sensory experience and and for kids with some motor difficulties. So I try to post daily. It's a little harder now that uh, we're back, you know, in full swing, but but try to to get stuff out um, on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Well, I love this. So in case you missed that, go to Instagram and follow Kristen at Brody.the.lion. And like me, I believe you will really appreciate the resources that Kristen shares on her Instagram page. And you can also click the link in her bio and it'll take you to the Brody the Lion store and you can buy the little characters there too. So I just really appreciate your time. I appreciate all the things that you shared today. And so thank you, Kristen, for being with me. Absolutely, Michelle. Thank you. My pleasure. For those of you listening, you can also follow me at navigating.the.spectrum. Thanks for listening. 